Hello everyone and welcome back to my channel and or podcast wherever you may be watching or listening. My name is Peter Barber. I'm primarily a professional opera singer, music producer, and bass vocalist. And now proudly once again the host of this podcast, Vocal Arts with Peter Barber. Just a few hours ago, I had the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful opportunity to speak with Elizabeth Jaroff of The Charismatic Voice. And let me tell you, we had an absolutely amazing and interesting and vocal nerdy conversation. And what makes it so cool for me for a number of reasons is that A, she really is the top you know, vocal analysis creator on YouTube. She's like the god of the reaction and analysis videos. So just to get to chat with her about that was amazing. And also because she very much had a legitimate career in opera going before she fully pivoted to the YouTube and other uh, means of, of that career. So very cool. We have kind of a parallel path in that way. And we cover it all in this conversation. You know, we talk about opera, we talk about the operatic life, we talk about the decisions that go into perhaps pivoting from that into something like YouTube, building up an entire team, expanding, growing the channel, settling down, like so many things, so much great information. It was really an honor to speak with her. I'm already a few hours later implementing some advice she gave me on how I can grow my channel. So I know you guys are going to love this. I think a lot of you have been waiting for this conversation for a long time. And I'm so happy it finally happened. And I'm so grateful that she was willing to provide me with the time and sit down and just have this a great one-on-one -on -one conversation. Truly a joy. So please enjoy this conversation with the one, the only Elizabeth Jaroff. Hello everyone who is either listening or watching, we are here with Elizabeth Zaroff of The Charismatic Voice. And I'm gonna pass it over to her and let her give a little elevator pitch as to who she is and what she's up to these days. Oh, uh, well, let's see. Uh, Elizabeth <laughs> is the name and Charismatic Voice is my YouTube channel. And actually just sort of a bigger brand in general because it's not just YouTube, it's also tons of vocal education in different places and also all about just enjoying great music and great singing. And what do we do? I would say that <laughs> my goal is to increase people's understanding and appreciation of music and voice. So amazing. That's, that's a that's a perfect little elevator pitch. <laughs> Some people like to give their whole life story. And then we have, we have a million places to choose from. But that was perfect. <laughs> nice and concise. Um, I would love to just jump back to your your musical background and training. Yeah kind of Let's like like where it started and, and then definitely like um, kind of how you got on that opera path first, um, like your undergrad training and stuff like that. I would love to hear a little bit yeah. about that. Well, I, it's also really interesting. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you is because we have such a similar background that um, very, very few people have such a similar <laughs> life journey. So it's always yeah. to meet somebody that you can talk about all of those together. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, let's see, life journey. I grew up on a farm, on an orchard. I drove a tractor. I, uh, I admit that I shot birds that ate our cherries. Okay. So that gives you a nice little picture. I sang a lot on the tractor. My dad told me at one point, if he could hear me before the tractor, that maybe someday I'd have a career. And I, he just said that jokingly, but for some reason I took it to heart and tried to sing really, really loud all the time. And I think that and my mom being a music teacher eventually led to me singing opera. Ultimately, I was going to go towards piano 
but then there was this competition my senior year of high school and I was singing Nuvoletta uh, by Samuel Barber at the end the character jumps off a balcony and you're not really sure what happens it seems like maybe she floats away but it's a very intense moment in the music and I saw as I was doing this crescendo the audience leaned forward and then there's of course this decrescendo and shimmer and it was just beautiful and I could feel their emotions, they could feel mine, it felt like time slowed down, and I felt like, wow, this is so powerful. I felt like a connection was grown with my audience that was more strong than what I'd done in piano, even though I'd done very well in piano at that point too. And I continued both for a little bit, but ultimately, I went to France the next year as a Rotary Exchange student, went into one of their conservatories as well, and uh, really got down the singing path then started with a whole bunch of coloratura soprano work it was like french coloratura lots of birds lots of high notes. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> and uh i came back i went to pacific lutheran university for a couple of years but had immediately realized once i got back there that i wanted to go full full into opera and while that was a good place in washington state i felt that for the right connections and opportunities to audition for young artist programs. For example, I needed to be more on the East Coast or in a place where those programs were coming through. So uh, I wasn't able to transfer after my first year. I was already past that deadline. So I decided to go to China for a semester in the meantime, <laughs> went to a conservatory there for half a, half a year. That was fun. Uh, a lot of fun. And then ended wow. up going to Oberlin for my bachelor's. And I got my uh, bachelor's in voice from Oberlin Conservatory. Uh, great, great institution. I really, I thought it was just pretty amazing. And then uh, for me, I got into my dream school, which was Curtis, the Curtis Institute of Music. I love Curtis. The moment I walked in the doors there, I was like, this is it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I ended up going to Curtis for my master's. And then there's all of that education after school. Let's yeah. see. Right? Because that's a big thing. I was already doing the young artist programs during Curtis and during Oberlin as well. But after Curtis, I went to Germany to Dresden uh, and did it was like it's kind of a it's a yes, it's a young artist program, but it's also a fest contract. They're built together. They call it like a youngest kind of fest essentially. And okay. a bunch of small roles and you're covering a bunch of the big roles. I actually got to perform my first Violetta on stage there in Pamina. And I was already singing with Opera Philadelphia a bunch at that point. So that was how the career basically launched off. Awesome. Amazing. So at what point in that trajectory did you start playing around with the YouTube stuff? Did you did you actually start with the analysis videos or did you start somewhere else and kind of move into that? How did you how did you find YouTube and then you know, start working in that in that medium. Yeah, it, it was actually a very, very slow journey to YouTube. And there were a couple of key points along the way. Um, I think that I had some uh, just some influential people that knew the broader picture of things in a way that I didn't quite get. I was so focused in on opera and like so ambitious and just going for it like crazy. So at first I wasn't thinking as much about contemporary music or maybe where where is the world going? Where is this technology going? But I did love video games. So okay. <laughs> that was the first bridge. I was 
I remember I was singing something in Dresden. I'd come back in a guest position to sing Palmina for a while. And I was singing there and I was really tired. I was just like, my voice is exhausted. I can't go out and party with people. I I wanna do something with my brain. I wanna do something with music, but you, when you're singing a role, you can't sing all the time. You gotta sing the role. And then what are you gonna do on the side? So. I was playing a video game that I really liked and it was called Braid, by the way. Okay. I heard these songs and I was like, oh, I composed something like that the other day. I was always composing. I was always making cool songs up on the piano and I'd always taken composition classes kind of along during my education. And so I thought, well, maybe I could write music for video games while I'm resting my voice between shows. So I went to Berkeley School of Music Online and I, <laughs> I got another technical certification essentially learning how technology works today instead of just writing on a piece of paper because I've learned how to write on a piece of paper and, and score something but I hadn't learned a DAW, a digital audio workstation, mm. how to put things into media. And I learned that and then I started learning about the software involved for video game composition and it struck me that video games I really think are the media that is pushing our boundaries of musical composition today. And that's because they're able to do this vertical composition instead of just horizontal and the integrative nature it's amazing. So I started Absolutely. looking into that really heavily. And I realized <laughs> as I, I know this is so winding. That's great. It's fantastic. Right. But as I was doing that, I thought uh, I ran into a lot of people that were writing for voice in video games and then no clue what they were doing. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy. So that's when I started some videos on YouTube and they were actually videos at first to help some people understand how to write for voice or what kind of voice types there are. They were just strictly educational and my target audience was very small. <laughs> <laughs> so they were good though. Um, they, I would say as far as first videos on YouTube, they're like a two out of 10. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's not terrible. Could be worse. Could be worse. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I did that, but I uh, didn't have much reach. Not surprising, right? Sure. Yeah. When you're just mm -hmm. getting started. Mm -hmm. And so let's see. I there were like some key people along the way that sort of persuaded me, hey, YouTube is a, a medium that is really big. It's reaching lots of people. If you want to reach more people with voice or vocal education, maybe you should consider YouTube. And so I started continuing in this direction, started making more videos, trying to figure out how do you make a video on YouTube that people really enjoy, um, that they want to click on, all of these things, except for I didn't even know what the terms were I needed for YouTube. I didn't know what a thumbnail was at this point. <laughs> and about, so. about just before you go on, about what time was this? Like Ooh. what year was this when you were just discovering YouTube? I was at LA Opera at this point. Uh, well, no, I when I first got into like video game stuff, that was right before I hit LA Opera, which um, let's, oh gosh. Were you doing their yap? I did there, yeah, but I actually, I kind of went backwards in my career. So I went, I was singing in lots of main things and then my voice needed to transition to some heavier reps. So I ended up going into the yap to take some time with Stephen King, my teacher. Sure. And then honestly decided at the end of that yap that I 
I wanted to go a slightly different direction with the career. So I was in the YAP for two and a half years there. And right before I got there was when this started up. I think it was like 2016, maybe okay. 15, maybe 15 when I started up YouTube stuff. Were you there with Nick Brownlee? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a voice <laughs> on that guy. Jeez. For a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, he's a hoot and a holler too. He is. He absolutely is. A big holler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a that is a crazy voice. Yeah. Absolutely crazy voice. And he also has a couple little ones, which is um pretty awesome because I have a, a baby now and so I Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. See how he's managing and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's cool. Um but yes, we were there together and uh and basically at Part, during that time, I was working a lot on YouTube, but really not getting anywhere with it. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, I went to some game audio conferences in LA, Seattle too, met uh, met a wonderful, wonderful person who had an amazing guitar channel um, that was really going well. And he took a look at my channel and he said, this is what a thumbnail is. You should try using them. <laughs> I'm thinking about doing this and this and this, and you know, maybe think about your content slightly differently. And that's sort of when things started to shift. I started to think about it from the perspective more of not what I wanted to teach, but what do people want to learn? And what are people looking for on YouTube? How can I take that and then sneak my teaching moments in? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Right, and it really happened then. I went to NAM, which is another conference in LA. I met a bunch of YouTubers there and they said, look, reaction videos are a thing this was in 2020 actually um and they said reaction videos are a thing i just hit like i think i had a thousand five hundred subscribers and they said you should do this you would do such a good job of it and i said well i don't want to just do a reaction video i want to do more than that I, I want this to have like some real education in it and uh and they said well if you want to take the fifth element, for example, because I love the fifth element, why don't you break that down in a different way? And I said, oh, I could do this. I could take a bunch of different examples, show how they follow the music or not. That became a video. And that was my first real reaction and analysis video on the channel. And it blew up. Uh, it really started going. And that was, I think, in January of 2020, just okay. before COVID. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So we started in that direction at a, a very fortunate time. And we had moved to Tucson also like six months ahead of time. I was already pretty committed to going online, just didn't know where it would go. And that, that moment though, where I, the, where I shifted and said, well, not what do I want to do, but what do other people want to find? Yeah. And then twist it to be my own. That was the big, big difference between YouTube that was, mm -hmm. <laughs> and YouTube that actually really works. Yeah, providing as much value as possible. Yeah, that audience, was a right? long story. Sorry. No, that's that's great. Um, so just like to to backtrack a slight bit. So you're, I mean, you're mm. doing you're doing very well in the opera world, but then priorities just kind of made you shift and be like, you know what? I would rather spend my time doing this. It'll give me freedom in other areas of my life. That I'm interested in having freedom in. There's not the pressure yeah. of always having to take, you know, pristine care of your voice and all that. And that all happened right around 2019, 2020, when you made that, when you like officially made that shift. I officially made that shift really in 2018. 
Um, so I, that was when I left LA Opera's program. And part of the reason that shift happened then is because I had an opportunity to work with a company in AI. I know this is <laughs> so many different things <laughs> through video games. They were creating an AI voice for self-driving cars and wanted to use my voice to base it off of. But because I had an experience in IPA, International Phonetic Alphabet, mm -hmm. through opera, I could also train the AI how to identify what people were saying and say things back to them, basically teach a computer how to pronounce things. So right. <laughs> that was really fun. And I worked on that for a while. The project really hasn't gone anywhere, um, but uh, at the time it was a really big opportunity. And I said, hey, I wanna go do this for a while. And I was recording so much that I couldn't be singing opera because opera, when you sing it, you know, it kind of shifts your voice higher after you've done some practice and coming back to a vocal booth for speaking that was presenting too much variation in my recordings. And I needed to pause and do that for a little bit. So I did that and then it wasn't going really where I wanted it to. And I was already working a lot more on YouTube at the same time. So I ended up shifting focus to more YouTube and coaching in other genres too, because I wanted to expand and understand what other kinds of music were there and how to apply the knowledge that I had to other kinds of singing. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You a lot of a lot of balls being juggled. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, yeah. that's fantastic. So you it's really cool how many different things you've not just been interested in, but how many things you've gotten pretty deep into yeah um high, highly relatable for sure i was i was just thinking when you started talking about getting into dawes like <laughs> i i i used to produce a ton of electronic music oh cool i went to U miami for voice and then quickly found the electronic music scene down there i was like okay i want to be a festival dj and then like pretty much completely mothballed opera for like the next <laughs> four or five years going through undergrad switched my major to music production was doing all that stuff and then just right at the tail end of undergrad kind of went back to opera mm -hmm. but like that that whole world and it's like every once in a while I'll get back to being able to work on a project I'm like oh my gosh I remember why I wanted to do this so much like this is so cool and fun to just like create crazy music in these in these software programs that's such a <laughs> huge advantage to go into your operatic career already having knowledge of a DAW yeah Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, so for the for the reaction analysis stuff, so it feels like you talked about it a minute ago, you feel like you got into it kind of at the right time when it was kind of going crazy. Do you feel like that the major wave of the reaction analysis videos have passed? Because I think I started making them maybe a year and a half or so after you, and it certainly has helped grow my channel. But I know people who started a little bit earlier who got a lot of subscribers from doing the reaction analysis. Um, and I'm wondering how you feel like if you've noticed in your analytics, obviously you have a huge following now, but if you've noticed a difference in response to continuing to make the that same kind of content. Honestly, I, I will say I don't look a ton at other channels or go exploring. I'm guessing you were seeing them pop up everywhere. I, when I first started, I, I looked around at the channels that were there. There weren't a ton that were really top level. Mm -hmm. I would say there were just a few. 
I looked at their branding, I looked at the format of their videos and uh, and said, I'm going to take this, I'm not going to take that, I'm going to take this, not that, and picked and chose a couple of things, got some great advice from Sean Daniel, again, same guitarist, who said, do everything in one take, challenge yourself to do it, because you'll love that so much later, mm-hmm. so now I only do intros, outros, and the main body of the video, all one take, so much easier to produce, so <laughs> helpful for time saving, and just for instant human relatability. Yeah. So I got that advice, put it together, and then started running with it. At this point, we we don't look a ton at other YouTube channels. We did for a while, um, but other, I should say other reaction and analysis yeah. channels. We're not watching too much. We'll see if there are people coming up that we think are cool like you, um, then <laughs> we'll take note of that and often offer help with copyright because that was such a mm. blocker for me early on and we understand how to work with it now. Um, but, uh, we can help some other young channels if they have a lot on the analysis end. So that's the only way that we're really looking at other reaction channels much. And, um, from my perspective, we've realized it was at least a year ago, maybe even a couple years ago that we were leading in the field that instead of watching what other people were doing to choose our next video, uh, we were like, oh, well we're we're just looking to our audience to ask what they would like to see looking to our patrons working with the connections that we have in the music industry to choose the next one and uh we're just we're we're forging the path which is kind of crazy but it is it's wild yeah that's what we're doing and analytics wise uh i i don't know about a wave i grew very quickly but uh the rate of growth has continued so yeah, uh, it's actually our growth has been steady for a year and a half. It had rapid, rapid first uptake. Mm-hmm. I keep wondering, you know, is this just going to be a limited pool? It's only so many people want to see reaction analysis videos, but no, it's still steady. That's 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 good to hear. Yeah, it's good to hear. So you find it still if you if you put out you put out a new video, it's just as likely to get a big response now as it would have two three years ago yes i do okay mm-hmm. good to know all all you beginning <laughs> you beginning uh reaction analysis people uh, <laughs> so uh back when you were pursuing opera what was like let's go i i, I hesitate to use day in the life because the days can be so different <laughs> but as you know maybe like a template for like a week in the life if you're like doing shows and you're I don't know, working on this AI project or like, how, how did you, how are you balancing all those things at the time when you were kind of trying to figure out exactly where you wanted to take that, where you wanted to I take your I was young career? and I didn't have a kid. In <laughs> <laughs> more time. Right. I think that the moment you have a, a baby in the picture, everything changes as far as life balance goes. So I'll just say I could not do now what I did back then. Put that out there. <sighs> um but i honestly especially while i was at la opera oh my gosh i was working so hard i remember one weekend when i worked like i think i might have gotten eight hours over the entire weekend like friday saturday sunday monday extended weekend of sleep that was it i was working on an album with uh it was a video game cover album called song cycle we put together 
uh, some really cool video game tunes with lyrics and turn them into essentially songs that you can sing in a classical setting with the piano. It's amazing. I love it. I have the scores. It's so cool. Anyhow, um, so producing that was insane. And I was doing it at the same time as we were doing Akhenaten at LA Opera. And I was in that production as one of the daughters that had their hair tied together, which is hilarious. Um, so if <laughs> you think about right, it, LA Opera, I would have uh, anywhere from like, some days would be much easier. You would have two or three hours of work with LA Opera that day. The next day, you'd have six hours of rehearsals and a show that night. And so you were gonna be there for at least 12 hours. So it was a lot of, ebb and flow. I don't really think, like you just alluded to, a day in the life in opera it doesn't work like that. It's a, more like a week in the life. So you'll have a day where you've got just a couple of coachings and a costume fitting, perhaps. And then you'll have a day where you have six hours of staging and a performance in that same day. And you get a mixture of these in a week. And then you add to that anything else that you're doing outside because almost always I find that opera singers have side things that they're doing these days. And uh, the amount of work per week regularly, it's like minimum 60 hours to me, but at least it was a combination of heavy use of voice and then often heavy music in a different way where I could be vocally quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you there big time. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's kind of no kid, no kid right now. So I've got the I've got the extra extra free time <laughs> built in. Um, but yeah, I definitely I definitely feel you on all that. Just like if you've got a number of things going on and the opera schedule is like changing rapidly, you're often filling in those gaps in the schedule with other projects. So like today, I don't have rehearsal till one. So I'm having this interview with you right now because that's like mm -hmm. when it works. And you just kind of like fill in the time here, fill in the time there. Um, another point you made. Yeah. And especially young opera singers now. I mean, young opera singers just don't make much money no it's from so opera little money it's like criminal um it, and you can there be was more money when people were being paid from covid in california when they like the relief check yeah. more than i made per week at la opera i was like <laughs> and for people listening la opera is you know one of the absolute best young artist programs in the world this is like a place where some of the best young singers in the world will go same with like a Santa Fe or mm -hmm. the, those kinds of programs. And still it is like, it's probably less than minimum wage if you break down the hours. I mean, it must be. Yeah. <laughs> I, think <it> <laughs> I think it is. It's a, people say, oh, it's a work of love. And you say, yes, but I also love to eat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hey, you, uh, never work a, you never work a day in your life. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> Uh, Interesting. So I assume now I'm going to ask anyway, but do you have any aspirations to get back to either performing opera live at some point or performing live in some way? Because you mentioned earlier that electric moment that kind of got you. Mm -hmm. And there really is nothing like that moment when you feel the audience with you. Just a quick example. We did, we did our first uh, room run for Boheme a few yeah. nights ago and it's the first and it's it's great and it's Kalina sing Kalina and it's the first and it's the first time that like all the other singers in the program who aren't singing the principals got to watch and they're all engaged and everyone's laughing and then we did our second room run last night 
And it's people just like on their phones, like they've seen it already. And there's, you know, no response because, you know, we've been rehearsing for a couple of weeks at this point. And it's a totally different thing when the people are there and engaged. It, there's there's nothing like it. So just to add a little spice to that question. Yeah, uh, I have no ambition whatsoever of getting back to operatic rules. Um, and part of the decision to leave, there were so many things that went into that decision. It was very yes. challenging. I have to ask you, I have to get, yeah, I want to get all the details there too. But one of those things is I just wanted to be able to settle down. I had been traveling like crazy since I'd been 18. And uh, honestly, that's just so hard on relationships. It's incredibly difficult. Uh, we were just talking about Nick Brownlee and I'm, I'm watching him and his wife and, and kids. And I'm just like, wow, you guys are making it work, but it also looks really tough with that lifestyle. And I wanted to settle down. I wanted to park somewhere and expand my reach rather than uh, sort of chasing the reach by traveling all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to go back out on the road. I was getting to the end of the program. I was just like, I, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to expand reach in a different way. And uh, I, I think some people are built more for the road than others. When I was super ambitious and going after it, I loved the travel. But then I was just so sad that I kept missing, missing birthdays. And mm. I really felt a big gap in my life. So I wanted to settle down. And I have an incredible husband now. I met him actually right when I was leaving LA Opera. Mm. Uh, perfect timing. And we have settled down and now we have this amazing little one-year-old who's incredible. So I, I just love being in one spot. Like that is so precious to me. However, if I could do an operatic role and still be in the same spot, I would seriously consider that, especially if it was one of my dream roles, right? Like if yeah. somebody came along and said, oh, I want you to do Tatiana, I'd be like, oh, I always wanted to do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I would not want to go travel to a place and park it for two or three months. Just no. Yeah. Um, I do. I'm actually very actively looking right now at what kind of live concert situations I could go back to. Mm. Not thinking I want to go travel a bunch again for that, but every now and then. And the funny thing is, before I was always looking to somebody else to be able to pull the audience for me. Now, as I'm looking at it and just sort of in this pre-planning stage, and I've, I've gotten back into operatic singing really in the last few months because baby and pregnancy were very, very hard on that mm -hmm. and moving at the same time. But put all that together, I've been singing a lot more and just really loving it again and feeling like, okay, I think I might be ready to do another concert now and thinking, well, where would I do this? How would I do this? And I don't think I would go about it in the traditional method. I could go back to an old manager agent and see, you know, can you book me here or here? But I mean, they're, they're going to a big orchestra often that has an established audience. I have an established audience on the charismatic voice. Why don't I just find the venue that I like have a very, I like really small concert settings, even though I've got a really loud voice, honestly, very dramatic. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. I like the smallest settings most. I think you can feel the audience the most in that setting yeah. and uh, and then stream it. I was like, oh, I could I could sell some tickets for people to be live in a venue with me that was small like that and then have online tickets. 
I can do that myself. Why am I looking at the traditional route? So yeah. that's what's going through my head. And I'm thinking like, Ooh, I really like song cycles. I really like song cycles and I really like Puccini. So maybe I'll do a couple arias, do some song cycles and make my own thing happen. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have, you have the platform now where I'm sure in pretty much any city you will have fans that would, that would, that would kill to have the opportunity to come hear you live and, and chat with you after the show. And, and certainly then you stream it. I mean, Mm-hmm. You have a you have a bigger audience than any opera house in the world, probably. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Like it's so crazy. <laughs> it is absolutely wild. Uh, you mentioned something about reach earlier, which is something I've thought more and more about over the last year or so. Is you like the numbers you reach live versus the numbers you can reach online? It's just it's mm-hmm. completely astronomical the difference. So you think like a, an amazing house like Santa Fe if they sell out every show for a whole summer, they might reach if, 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 if there's no repeat customers, like if it's new people every night, they'll, mm-hmm. you know, 70,000 people in mm-hmm. a summer. I'm like that. That's a That's, that's, that's like a flop video. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, which is, which is like, not fair in a way, but it's like, that's the way the world is. So I have like the same line of thinking where it's like, I can be on here, giving people value, helping them enjoy music more and experience music more and demystify the bass voice more <laughs> like than I ever could traveling the entire world performing live. It's just, yeah. it's, it's amazing what it's amazing. The reach you can have online. Um, yeah. So I totally, and if you're, if your goal, if your kind of life mission is to impact as many people positively in the music world, it's online. Like that's where you're going to have the most impact. Yeah. You know, so I, I totally hear you there. I did have another question, which you kind of touched on. I was wondering um, like what you're practicing and like approach oh. to technique is now, like what is your oh. voice like now? If you kind of took a lot of time off and I've come back, like what are the differences? What do you feel like? maybe has I mean just matured and gotten stronger in a way and like different parts maybe you need to pay a little more attention to now like what is the what does the practicing look like for you these days well it's such a fun question um I will say right after I stopped performing regular operatic roles I I paused for a little bit because I was doing that voiceover um for the AI company um but I got back into it pretty pretty quickly and every now and then I would pause and do a concert and then go back to that so mm-hmm. That was happening kind of consecutively, but I was expanding also at that time to start playing with other genres. And that started teaching me a lot about my voice. I think especially when you get into chest voice for operatic singers, uh, for for women in particular, mm-hmm. especially, we don't touch on our chest voice very much. Um, I probably had a little more experience with chest voice than even most sopranos because I was on that dramatic end and wanted to bring that up into certain roles. Yeah. So uh, when I started playing with different genres, I started thinking a lot more about weight. And also I started thinking a lot more about singing into a microphone. I was starting to make a lot more of my own songs and recordings up and realize, oh, some of the things that are on stage, I really needed to dial back in my technique, like my S's, oh my gosh. <laughs> I work with a lot of people that just are still like, oh, your S's are so operatic. 
There's a lot. That's not a good thing in a microphone. Is that why I? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> in a way that makes you not feel so bad, but <laughs> you do feel bad. <laughs> so I have, uh, I've had to really adjust a lot of things about my singing, learn how to embrace the tiny intimate moments in a microphone that you could never embrace on an operatic stage. It just wouldn't project. Yeah. So uh, that period happened and I continued with that for quite some time, started doing a lot more layering of acapella projects. That is one of my big passions when it comes to a creative vocal project now is just layering myself 10 billion times. I, I'm not vain, I swear. It's not like, I just really like the sound of a lot of human voices. <laughs> Um, so I'll, I like putting that all together and getting all of the sounds out of it. I started doing beatboxing too, to like try and get in some different, uh, human sounds all together. I think that's really, really fun. So this is all going to come back and answer a question a bit. I think that through that period of time, I got a little vocally confused sometimes because where was home for Elizabeth? Like what was my voice? I was trying so many different things on and my voice was expanding like crazy. My lows expanded like crazy. Mm. And I I didn't know what was my song anymore. What was my fundamental voice? So I had to actually go back. I worked with a woman named Soha for a little bit on trying to figure out where that fundamental was. And uh, for me, it came back to actually a lot of Ricky Ian Gordon's music, which is hmm. uh, classical operatic, but it's also going towards musical theater. It kind of feels almost like that golden age musical theater sometimes, um, but I also can run into some of that golden age Disney stuff. So hmm. that felt like, oh, this is, this is Elizabeth's voice and that can morph into Puccini or it can morph into something more pop a little bit, but don't for me, I don't actually like to go too far because then I think I start trying to sound like someone else. Mm. That then shaped where my practice is today, which is I will go through, uh, I'll do my warm ups and stuff first. I always do tons of SOVT things. I'll always work on my breath, get my body engaged. I think that's essential. I did a lot of study in uh, vocal pedagogy additionally, too. So um, anytime we're talking about voice and making sure it's healthy. I'm just SOVT all the way, sing on a straw, lip yeah. trills all day. Yep. <laughs> right. I, I do. I start my warm ups the same way. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and then I sit down at the piano and I will, uh, right now I'm working with using raspberries to help um, not only focus the sound in front, but I also am thinking a lot about my pharyngeal wall. I think that while I was pregnant and I had terrible acid reflux and then baby was born and I couldn't practice because uh, the situation was that if I was practicing, he was sleeping. <laughs> so <laughs> that I didn't get much singing then <laughs> for about nine months when he was born and that was really sad. I still did little things, but not full opera. So now I'm working on strengthening that pharyngeal wall a little bit more. I think a lot about the shape back here when I'm practicing because I feel like it got a little flabby, if I'm honest, and I feel like the vibrato got a little bit flabby at the same time. So um, it's not so bad now, though. It was a couple of months ago. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I think about um, making sure that my larynx is able to be neutral low. I'm not pushing it low, but neutral low. 
and then I have a line that goes up the back and that that wall isn't being puffed up by air. I think I was letting some that just didn't have its tone and so it was puffing back and that was creating an instability that led to instability and vibrato. Additionally, actually, if you have a little bit smaller space here and I'm even thinking about this when I'm going up for my high notes, I do like this kind of shape, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which was talked to me many, many times by voice professionals. I understand it a lot better now, though. <laughs> um, so if I follow that shape really closely, it also actually helps to create a little bit of that reflective air pressure that we're looking from from SOVTs. Mm -hmm. And that has offered me a lot more control. So when I sing VC Dotic Day now or Butterfly, I'm able to approach those high notes with that careful onset a lot, a lot better than I could five years ago. So that's kind of cool. One other thing though that added to it, I started looking into harsh vocals like crazy and experimenting with them. I've done mm. a lot of this with Will Ramos on the channel. We have a course that's on harsh vocals now. Like what opera singer growling? What, <laughs> what happened? Yeah, for real. And I learned so much in research and in listening and working with singers and playing with them myself too. I just learned so much more about the different places that you can feel and engage sound sources in your throat. And from that, I even expanded my own uh, senses in there, I think, to the point where I can control things like that pharyngeal wall and that shape more than I ever could before. So I think my focus and practice these days is actually a little isometric of saying, oh, I want to do this thing, but not that thing. Hmm. It's very fun. Fascinating. <laughs> so, so growling and the kind of grit in the voice you're talking about is always something I've wanted to be able to do, but hmm. I've never felt like I, I could experiment while I've got a full operatic schedule. So like, what, what does that look like? How much, how much time does it take to kind of get the hang of it? Do you feel like you can literally go from growling for a while in a practice session to singing opera, or do you like have a session for one and a session for the other? Cause it's always something I've wanted to learn. I've just never thought, cause as you know, opera is all about like, perfect efficiency yeah. of the voice because we're just like healthy yelling and screaming yeah. for three hours <laughs> you know <laughs> yep <laughs> make it sound pretty keep yeah. going for a long time <laughs> exactly so any kind of growling that has like is tired me out or is causes more inflammation of the folds is always something i've hesitated to experiment with while while i'm doing shows yeah um I think for your first bit of experimentation with it, I don't think I would do it while you're in the staging period or show period would be my answer. Um, but that's just because when you're first figuring out what you're using for it, you could start using the wrong thing by accident hmm. um, and you don't wanna do that. But ultimately, once you've focused on or you found where the right spot is to create these sounds, it's in a totally different spot from your true, true vocal folds. So you can growl and then sing clean opera and the two will absolutely not affect each other. Growling um, or any sort of, the sustained metal screams is what I'm really thinking about. Yeah. They're done with uh, parts in your vocal tract, other, other fleshy bits that are creating the sound source. So it's not your true vocal folds. It is above one of the most common sources is your false vocal folds. Mm -hmm. We're not using that for opera no. at all. 
and it's built in a really different way. And actually, um, I would argue, unless you're doing something like tube and throat singing or subharmonics, where you're going to engage your two vocal folds as well, um, those should be open and actually kind of relaxed. And you might actually get, I don't know this, we should do research on it, but you might get some sort of benefit from having other sound waves going around that area. And, uh, you know, you could just have some blood flow that's happening that could be good. Hmm. Who knows? It maybe it, it isn't good too, but I don't think that we're not using the same bits. So there's nothing that's going to be directly destructive, especially when we get to some of the really tight constrained things that are up high. And I, I'm actually using the word constraining because that's what we see happen on a camera. Uh, from opera, people always say open, relax, these things. But the truth is there is there's activation in your muscles that has to be there to create a sound. Yes, you do need some okay. kind of tension. <laughs> yes, exactly. So in the harsh vocals, especially in the ones that are really, really high, we see like a space that's like this suddenly go like this. It's tiny when you go for those really high ones and things like fry screams, for example. Um, and that again, it's all like if you think about area epiglottic folds, sometimes those are involved, but also you just see that whole tract up there go, it squeezes essentially creates a little tiny tunnel for the sound. Um, <laughs> in Will's camera, we saw these lingual tonsils, which look like like balls in his throat, <laughs> that <laughs> get active in the sound production as well. But again, all of these things, and there's like 10 different things up there that can make sound sources versus the one sound source that we're using for opera. If you can activate those and hone in on those and not be trying to make the harsh sound with your true vocal folds, you can do the do them side by side and it's totally fine. Amazing. Yeah. That's really that's really cool. Is that is so is that I mean that's something you must experiment with now, both of these things. All the time. Relatively oh my gosh, short, yeah. short succession. Yeah, the, the one spot that I think is most difficult for me is um, adding grit into a sung tone. Um, and I think what you want to do for that is to have your true vocal folds making the clean sound and then another sound source making the gritty sound. It's hard in opera because we tend to have more space back here. So if I'm thinking about like, oh, like that kind of like tiny sound, right? That kind of sound. Yeah the shape in the tube to make that sound is not the same shape I would use to make an operatic sound. So when I've tried to combine these two together, I'm not having a lot of success with that one. Doesn't mean I'm not trying. Mm -hmm. It just means <laughs> that I feel that to get the resonance for an operatic sound, the tube shape that's creating the harsh vocal sound isn't conducive. Yeah. <laughs> right. <That's not> hurting. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. So, I mean, you have you have a, a very fine knowledge of vocology and voice science, which is wonderful. Do you do you take because you do these analysis videos, mm -hmm. but do you taper it back some so that or, or or try to use language that more people can digest? Because the conversation we're having right now just wouldn't land. This wouldn't work. Yeah. With okay. most with most people watching on YouTube. So let me talk to you like I would talk to a camera for a video. <laughs> Perfect. So basically, the, when the breath is coming up, if it's a clean sound, like if it's a, the normal singing that you would hear from an opera singer, their vocal folds, their true vocal folds, that's the lowest spot here in the tube, 
and this is also this is your your breath tube not your food tube two different tubes um those go wacka 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 440 times per second <laughs> to create a concert day that's a note that you hear orchestras tune to but yeah they go wacka 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 very very quickly and then other fleshy bits as you go up those can go wacka 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 but they don't have the same consistency to be able to vibrate regularly so they're more like um and that creates a noisy sound instead of a clean pitch there you go wacka 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 <laughs> yep awesome awesome i understand i don't know if you see the office but there's this moment when michael scott's telling someone to explain something to him and he's like explain it to me like i'm a 10 year old and they explain it to him and then he goes and he doesn't he still doesn't understand it so he goes explain it to me like i'm a five-year-old <laughs> yep <laughs> yep <laughs> that's incredible thank you <laughs> well done um awesome 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 um <laughs> move, movie i want to move move forward to um i'm just curious um because like you said your 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 schedule has changed right since you've had the kid and you're settled okay. down now um, when we were coordinating, you said you generally like to shoot your content on Sundays. Mm -hmm. So like, is that generally just like one big bulk and like how much, how much are you putting out a week now and how does all the content break down? Yeah, we put out videos regularly Monday, Thursday, or pff, Monday, Tuesday and Friday. And <laughs> those days at 8 a.m. we have releases. Those releases are usually around 25 minutes long. Uh, if we have an interview that we're putting out as well, we'll have a double bill on Fridays and that will last hmm. about two and a half hours total. It's <laughs> a lot. Sometimes wow. we'll put out another video on the singing hole, which has been a little on pause because of some coursework I've been doing recently, but that would go out on Tuesdays as well. So Monday, Tuesday, Friday, those are our normal release days. We also have shorts or like short form content that sometimes we'll film and release on other days. So honestly, we have one of the most packed release schedule of all other YouTubers that I personally know. I've gone to a lot of things at this point, been networking a, a lot with different people uh, and just connecting to people from different realms as well. It's a, it's a lot of videos. However, I love the fact that our audience can expect to find me in a live premiere every Monday, Tuesday, and Friday at 8 a.m. I am there, I am writing with them, I'm enjoying the video with them, we're talking about things. That's an opportunity to build community online and that is priceless, so extremely important. I film my, I try to film about four videos on Sundays where I'll do four of those reaction and analysis videos. I have a team that helps keep track of people's recommendations on YouTube, mm. uh, what our patrons are voting for as well. Uh, we have tons of spreadsheets that are tracking this. And then if there's, we know a new release coming up from a band, we know this kind of thing. We'll get those songs chosen uh, with tons of data points. And then we have a couple people that will go and help prep documents for me to read over. Cause I used to spend like two hours reading background information about bands and try and find stuff and see if I could tell by comments which version was the best version to watch on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So hard to choose when you can't actually listen. Yeah, yeah, the first time, yeah. <laughs> right? 
So I have people that go and listen, uh, help vet videos ahead of time. It's not 100% perfect, but it's like 99%, which is much better than I could do on my own. And then on Sundays, I'll try to get four videos knocked out. Um, that's It's pretty intense with the kind of listening and filming we do. It I feel like I really have to be on point for it and yeah. read my stuff ahead of time, try and memorize faces that I've never seen before in the prep work, it's, that's hard. Uh, but that's what Sundays usually look like. And then depending on what else I've go, got going on, we'll often have another film day. Though I will say I'm in the next few months, we're trying to be good about having a little bit more time off because I've felt very, very drained lately. So um, we're trying to stick to having Sundays be our film day and then today honestly i'm i'm filming with you and then we have a couple other things that are happening film wise today as well and tomorrow so it's pretty regular <laughs> yeah i mean and, and your your sunday filming and your second potential day filming is that to create one week's worth of content generally or are you trying to get further and further ahead yeah i i try to always get four in so that we can be building up a little more and sometimes we'll add an extra day that's just another reaction analysis that's just for the charismatic voice uh, and that's because at some point we're going to be gone on a sunday or i'm going to be sick on a sunday so mm -hmm. if things happen and i'm not able to film on a sunday we need to have a little bit of runway yeah fantastic fantastic um thinking because like right right now in this kind of in phase of the training moving into the opera career mm -hmm. i'm shooting i'm averaging two analysis videos per week congrats congrats thank you thank you <laughs> plus plus shorts uh which don't really work so well i'm like debating i'm like i'm doing a lot of experimenting with the shorts and other kids because i'm like i'm trying to figure out what's really gonna land um, and then I try to do an interview every two weeks. That's super easy. Two weeks is plenty of time to to schedule and create interviews. Um, but like I know if the opera world wasn't there, you know, if I didn't have like eight hours of Bohem rehearsal <laughs> Monday through Saturday, how much more I could be creating and what that would do for the channel. And that's always like angel devil on the shoulder, you know. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a uh, that's hard to manage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Time, I think you could possibly sort of stack them up ahead of time a little more because in the opera singer life, you tend to have a lull at some point. Yeah. And during that lull, you could schedule an entire week of filming. Um, the problem is if you do that back to back, and I've done that before, the videos aren't going to feel as fresh. Mm -hmm. So. If I'm going to do that these days, I'll usually read some vocal research between shooting. <laughs> so, nice. Like just, yeah, pop up some some good stuff. Um, there's tons of journals out there. So that oh, yeah. way you can keep things uh, fresh. But you could do that. Yeah. That, well, that is already. That is what I did um, end of July, um, end of April, early May. I actually got I got two months ahead because I knew I was going to be leaving Philly um, I was going to be traveling to multiple places for weddings, even internationally for a wedding, um, <laughs> like getting out to Santa Barbara, jumping into Bohem. Like it's a, it's an, it's a pretty intense program. And yeah. I was like, I need to make enough so that if I'm driving from Virginia to California, I need to not have to 
dealing with content basically so i got i got two months ahead and i just started shooting again like last week oh cool. i'm so i'm so um great job because getting those two months ahead is actually tough yeah but you did it that's awesome. i did it i did it i pretty much i pretty much would just get up and first thing in the morning would just shoot three or four and did that for like a couple of weeks and just stack 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 and it felt so good to look in that google drive and be like <laughs> i'm good through early july <laughs> like early that's, may um that's discipline though you got it. You have to. I mean, you know, I mean, just to do opera is discipline, much less to do opera plus three other things. Right. Um, you mentioned your team. And this is something I'm interested in because I just very proudly in the last few months, uh, probably six months, like pretty much this year, now have someone who does all the video editing. So I'm, I'm at the point where I just shoot, <laughs> shoot, the content, shoot the content, put it in a Google Drive. They, they uh, finish it, upload it to YouTube. And I have another person who's the manager of the bass gang, who's this this group of four bass singers that I'm yeah, in. Yes. Um, uh -huh. And he will like prep everything for release on YouTube. And he also makes my shorts. So at this point, I pretty much just am shooting content. I do still I do still make my own thumbnails and I obviously acquire talent for the interviews and I do copyright disputes and stuff like that. Oh uh -huh. but, the re but the rest of it's all taken care of by these two other people so i'm just interested like what what's like the full breakdown of your team um and how did that build up over the like what point did you like did you get that first video editor kind of like i just got and how did it kind of scale up yeah um yeah because i was doing it all for a long time like you were doing that's it's just that's really <laughs> yeah. tough i got uh summer of 2020 had my first hire which was paolo um, he's based in the Philippines and he wasn't doing video editing. He immediately started with helping me go through comments and figure out what was recommended the most. We found, mm. I just felt that that was one of the most important things and I was spending way too much time doing it. So Paolo has developed and been with us for a very long time. We absolutely adore him. And uh, he actually manages the team in the Philippines now for us and also helps me with course building, which he's currently on is mm. insane. Uh, but he also is, uh, he also manages some things in the background for YouTube as well and continually is keeping track of those suggestions. So he's in the Philippines. He was sort of the first person there. My husband, Kirk, came on board with the Charismatic Voice in November of 2020. It was perfect timing. His his company in Tucson like had this COVID collapse essentially. Okay. Uh, he was working in aerospace. He worked at SpaceX for a long time when I when I met him. And then we were in Tucson at an aerospace company here. And I was like, honey, I need help. So <laughs> his background was in business and he now really helps with a lot of the business relationships. And uh, he's so much better at communicating than I am. Uh, like, so much better so when it comes to talking with labels or pr that's that's him he does really really great uh on that end he also actually manages all of the copyright things as well okay. he's managing our patreon too so thank goodness because i cannot do all of the things and manage that as well yeah, yeah. and uh we we call him our ceo operations okay. he's really overseeing mm -hmm. operations in so many areas uh he does do video editing too some i was doing it all and then it switched to kirk 
honestly, our video editing for the reaction analysis videos is pretty simple. So um, we're able to pop something in there for editing and then get it out and have it like up probably in about an hour. Mm -hmm. We have um, that's an including things like trailers or thumbnail creation. So that's that's pretty impressive. Um, but that being said, uh, we also knew that we needed to get him off that because he's so good at business. And uh, and ultimately, there's somebody that's just more specialized in video editing than he or I. So we hired another video editor uh, a while later. So now in the Philippines, we have a video editor who's working on things for TCV. We have a video editor that's working on things for courses. So the harsh vocal course um, was actually his first job. <laughs> Poor guy. <Whoa. laughs> Editing by fire. <laughs> oh. um, and uh, and then we have another person who's supplying source material for things like any extra clips that you would find coming in, and especially in singing whole videos. And uh, and she helps also with just prepping some of the more massive videos. So not the ones on TCV, but the ones that are bigger in scope. Um, those ones she'll help prep scripts for, and she also makes short form content. So she's kind of filling in a lot of gaps so that our other two editors can work a little bit more efficiently and then helping us with some of the other content. And then we have two people that are actually coincidentally both in Tucson. Hmm. It was not planned like that, but it, it became that eventually that are both helping with marketing part time here. Um, and then there's lots of lots of contractors that we work with as well. Um, lawyers are one of them because hmm. copyright is hard. Yeah. Um, uh, helpful to have some lawyers in case we have questions. And what else? I mean, there's some mastering, some people that work on mastering audio, obviously, like uh, when I've done music videos, there's a really great music video. Uh, videographer that I love in LA. We'll usually find wherever we are. So that's that's kind of the team. Oh, I should mention community managers. So within Patreon and our Discord system, we actually have five community managers. And you'll often see them in premieres as well, just helping make sure that nothing is gonna fly by that is totally inappropriate on the channel, right? Racism is not okay. And yeah. uh, and people mm -hmm cannot make certain comments about me. Right? Yeah. They're just things that are inappropriate. Yeah. So we keep it uh, we keep it to good vibes. And I think having community managers is essential with that. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Whole team. Huge yeah, team. Yeah, we have a team. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's definitely expand our reach. And uh, it really, really is helpful when you have a baby too, because there have been times when it's both Kirk and I are just struggling to keep up with everything and having other people that are continuing to help the wheel churn is so relieving. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was actually very curious about your involvement on things like Discord and Patreon and emailing. Cause like at this point, like on my end, like I said, I shoot the videos, upload them, but those other things take a lot of time so much time it sounds yeah. like your so advice would be find a way to offload as much offload of everything you can yeah 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 like, just make space because what you're really good at doing is going to be creating the content and somebody else can help 
Um, but there's also, there's a balance because with Patreon, there, it is so important to put into your core community. I can't emphasize that importance enough. Uh, I think it's, it might be one of the most important things with YouTube is investing in your core community. And that is Patreon. That is the live premieres too. So yeah, that was, that was my next question. Um, yeah. When did you start doing live premieres for your reaction analysis videos? Because this is something I said, when I get to hundred K, which I, I just broke hundred K a couple, a couple weeks ago. Very exciting. I think the play button is actually supposed to get here today. Very exciting. <laughs> I brought them right there. <laughs> I know, look, I see them. Um, right, um, but yeah, it took a while to get there, though. <laughs> for real. Um, yeah. But yeah, so live premieres, when did you start doing that? Did you see a bump? Have you seen a lot more? I mean, you must have seen a lot more of this close knit community excitement mm -hmm. and engagement from them, better responses to the video. They're essential. We started doing them right away, um, almost by accident, not realizing how important they would be and just really, I think it might've been the very first video that we started doing them with. And then it was a way to connect with the community. I immediately saw, oh, I can talk directly to people who are watching these and they can directly interact with me. It's just huge. We didn't even realize at the time that it will also give a boost to a video when it's first coming out. People are there. That means that they have clicked on or in the video immediately when it starts youtube sees that they're watching it the whole time while you're there youtube sees that and says oh they'll stay on youtube longer so youtube likes that okay um, brilliant but then if they go back and watch it again sometimes people do that after a premiere because you tend to be talking a lot <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's just it's a great boost for a video but it's just so important to know your community so, yeah do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I historically haven't because I'm generally like in a rehearsal. Yeah. The premieres, but I, I mean, I assume if you premiere, you definitely want to be there. That mm -hmm. probably makes a huge difference. Yeah. As far as the community, maybe the YouTube stats still look nice if people show up to the premiere, but to get that community closeness, you definitely want to be there yeah. interacting with people. Yeah. I've had um, people say like, oh no, Elizabeth isn't actually at those premieres and I am. <laughs> yes, I am. If I'm not there, which has happened like three or four times in the last year, I think I wasn't there when I gave birth. <laughs> That's an example of not being Fair there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I wasn't there when I was feeling sick one time and Kirk let me sleep in. So, <laughs> right. So there, but it is said in the premiere that I'm not there. So if, if I'm there, I'm there, guys. <laughs> yeah. Let it be known. Yeah, and do it. I like. I can't. I can't okay. recommend it strongly enough. Great. I know it's gonna be a pain on your sleep schedule because you're probably gonna have to pick a time when you aren't in rehearsals, which is yeah, like eight or nine in the morning regularly. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Which is okay. I mean, yeah, because usually rehearsals don't start till a bit later. I'm already a morning person, so that's good. Um. Wow, you're a morning person and you do opera. I'm the I'm the only one. <laughs> Literally the only one. Like I went up and like went to the gym and got breakfast before this interview. <laughs> 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 no, I'm a, a bit of a unicorn. A unicorn. Um, uh -huh. It's literally it's literally because of the background and in health and fitness. It's always been a huge, huge priority for me. So it is all that was actually a really tough thing about Santa Fe because we were up so late every night being in the chorus we i mean you were lucky to be asleep mm. by 1 30 or 2. yeah and if you're in four shows it's most nights of the week 
so I, you know, I slipped in, I shifted my sleep schedule back some, but my body just never really liked it. Yeah. You know, going it's to bed at two. St. Louis. Yeah. It's tough. Those, the, the summer festival things are tough on the body. Uh, yeah. And, and even 10 o'clock rehearsals then feel really early. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, what are some goals for your career and the channel and what kind of, do you have any big like moonshot moonshot goals, like really big things you want to do years down the road? <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you have, I'm sure you have plenty. <laughs> yeah. We actually do business planning now with a whole whiteboard and like two year, five year, but I am persuaded that for our kind of business, the best business planning is really six months to one year. Hmm. We still have like those big hairy goals. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is someday I would love to have kind of like unplugged. I'd love to have a little music uh, performance festival concert along those lines where we bring in um, just some extraordinary singers, probably in the metal rock realm, but maybe that are crossing over into other genres, who knows, um, but bring them into a much smaller concert venue, have it be more acoustic and, and record and stream that. Uh, I just think that sometimes the voices that are out there doing, especially rock and metal, and especially metal, mm -hmm. I hear such extraordinary voices that are sometimes not appreciated enough that I feel put them in that acoustic environment. And oh my gosh, it's just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. You can hear all of the details a, a little bit more clearly. Don't get me wrong. I like the big vibes too, but <laughs> I, I hope someday to have, to like host a series like that, almost like the tiny desk series. Yeah. Uh, I would love, love to do that. Um, I honestly, I would love to eventually do something that's on TV and have some sort of regular show there. I don't know what it would be, um, but I definitely want to continue to expand the charismatic voice out in different ways. Uh, I have a hairy goal of someday uh, hosting an event for uh, people that maybe don't know much about opera to all take them to a night at the opera. <laughs> I think Ooh. that might happen sooner than later. Yes. I love opera. And I think it'd be so much fun. Just like, guys, we're going to make this happen. <laughs> come, get really, come get really fancy. Uh -huh. That's what I always tell people when they come to the show. I'm like, dress up nice, get the champagne, eat the cake, <laughs> like have, have yourself a time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually think it'd be really fun to do something like that at Santa Fe since you've got the shows back to back or St. Louis. They're yeah. both great settings for an opera outing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be cool. Uh, obviously, I just want to keep expanding the channel, but I also started the singing hole a while back and uh, I want to figure out how to make that work even better and have more videos that are based on science that are just like super nerdy talk about. I love the one about bat vocalizations. I think that's so fun and cool. And <laughs> I get really nerdy on that channel. So I want to see that explode with just vocal nerdiness. So, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of big goals. It's really about figuring out which ones I can do uh, when. Oh, and I, I really am, am dying to go to more festivals and have more presence there. But again, life balance. So yep. got to work on that. Awesome. Fantastic. Ooh. Um, realize I'm going to I'm going to have to hop into uh, another meeting here in just a moment. Yeah. Let me know how much how much time do you have and we'll, I'll try to 
I think I'm supposed to be in it now. I wasn't watching the time. Oh. <laughs> what are we, how are we doing? I can, I can send a message that I'll be there in like a minute or in a couple minutes. Is this okay? Yeah. Can I, can I see you for a couple more? Yeah. There was one, there was one really, uh -huh. there was one really important question I wanted to ask you earlier for opera, for the opera people. Um, the, the transition out of the opera world oh. and how, and I'm sure that was really difficult and like, were people supportive? And of course, don't have to name names and kind of divulge as much as you want. But I'm really interested in that as someone who's, you know, got one foot in the mm -hmm. opera world and one foot in the YouTube and loving aspects of both, you know, at the moment. You know, Nino Senekitze, who's there with you, was so beautifully supportive. I had such a tough time with that decision. And uh, she was really, really supportive. So I will say that uh, about her. Um, wow. Just wow. And, Fantastic. Uh, and I've continued to work occasionally with my teacher, Stephen King, and he's been incredibly supportive of me just continuing to sing and explore voices in other ways. Uh, I've done so much more with Ingo Tietze and vocal research and vocology since then. And I think people seeing that I'm continuing to do voice just in a way that maybe wasn't expected. I'm using all of the things that I trained and learned, I'm just applying them in a really cool way that reaches tons of people. Yeah. And so <laughs> I think that most people have felt really surprised and supportive. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> I'm gonna hit you with one patron question. Oh, okay, I'll go for it. it. Off. And this, this, this will, it'll be a quick one. This is from Isaac. And this will be a very tough question because I'm sure you've loved a bunch, but of all the musical analysis you've done, which ones or which one has blown you away the most? <laughs> Never mind that you've done like probably a thousand analysis videos at this point. I'm just, I'm going to toss out a few. Okay. Great, I'm going to toss it because I don't think it, they're so very different that it's really hard um, to pick. Um, I will say like the very first time I heard uh, Ginger and Tatiana switched to growls, I was really, really shocked. And then I think when I heard Will start to use that in a different way too, just increased, it, it really set a totally different path in my vocal studies than anything I'd ever expected. That was massive. I do think that um, a couple of the really emotional things from artists I didn't necessarily think were going to be tender, like Disturbed Sound of Silence or Johnny Cash Hurt, mm. those things were really huge to me. Um, definitely hearing opera in different kinds of settings, like anything that's symphonic metal, that has been a big shift uh and a voice play i still can't get enough of yeah they're um, incredible or dio i i also there's so much classic rock that i've been getting into recently where i was just so surprised by how almost operatic some of these voices are Absolute, really really blown yeah. away i think about dimash too really said things so there's just like mm. there's so many <laughs> So very many right now. Um, I think it's it's really hard to pick one, but those are just just a few. Awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. Awesome. So many. Oh and, man, uh, Sleep Token, guys. If you guys have not heard Sleep Token yet, oh really good. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and any any final words to the audience, the fans, uh, oh, man. anyone out there? I would just I love my sign off. May you fall more in love with music every day. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for your time. It's, you. it's yeah, it's been such a joy. To, <laughs> it's been such a joy to talk to you. And you know, as someone who you know has followed a similar 
career path and is who's finding so much success and bringing millions of hours of enjoyment of music to the world. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, good luck so much. I hope we talk lots. Yes, we will. And I'll, I'll keep you posted on everything about releases and, and stuff like that. Great. Awesome. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much. Have a good one.